This is the last psalm in our series uh, through the psalms. And um, again, we'll pick it back up in a couple of years, probably on a Sunday morning. And uh, Psalm 93 is the focus of our attention this evening. The strength of an object is only as strong as the source from which the strength comes. The strength of an object is only as strong as the source from which the strength comes. So a highway road that is made of rebar that's made of glass and covered in quicksand is not going to hold up very well to the force of Detroit's rush hour traffic, right? That's because the strength of a highway road is strong because it has these reinforced steel rebar below it filled with concrete. Or a Ford Mustang, Mustang engine whose pistons are made of plastic is not going to last very long. Right? You've got, you got to change my... got to get a new engine again, right? The Mustang is only as strong as the parts on which it relies. In a similar way, we are only as strong as the one on whom we rely. And that means that we are weak if we rely on anything or anyone else than the one who is strong. Too often we find ourselves weak and unable to continue because we've transferred our reliance, our trust, our confidence or faith in God onto something else, another creature, or maybe a gift from the Creator. And this psalm here was written to help recalibrate our focus so that, so that our strength will rightly be found in the one who, in whom is no weakness. The strength of us is dependent upon the one on whom we rely. Now, this psalm is a little bit different than the psalms that we normally look at. Uh, it's one of the most uh, rare forms or types of psalms. We've been looking at praise psalms and lament psalms and thanksgiving psalms and tr- trust and wisdom psalms. Um, this one is a royal kingship psalm or a divine kingship psalm. Now, we could just put this under the category of praise. The psalmist is praising God because of, of uh, His great power. But this one seems to celebrate something specific about God, and that is that He is the sovereign King over all. That God is the sovereign King over all, and, and we should respond to Him appropriately. We'll talk about how we do that at the end. Now, as I read through this short psalm, what I want you to notice is the timeless reality of this psalm. That this psalm could be sung really at any time in Israel's history and even into the future in Israel's history. This psalm could, could be sung because what they're going to be doing is recognizing the universal sovereign rule of God over all things. And this would be important for them to do whether they had David on their throne or whether they were in exile and they had no king on the throne. Or whether they're in the time of tribulation and they're waiting for the Messiah to return again. The point is that God reigns over all of His creation and He is more powerful than the forces of nature and He is holy forever. So let me read this for us. You follow along in your Bible, Psalm 93. This is the Word of God. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord has clothed and girded Himself with strength. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods 
lift up their pounding waves more than the sounds of many waters, than the mighty breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your testimonies are fully confirmed. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. In this psalm, we see that the eternal, powerful, and faithful God is reliable or can be relied upon. The eternal, powerful, and faithful God is reliable. And this would be important for Israel to know, this is important for us to know, and psalm that we can sing as well, that, that God, God is unchanging in His eternality, He is unmatched in His power, and He is unshaken in His faithfulness. And so we can rely on Him. And we should praise Him for that. So first, we'll see the stability of our world depends on the reliability of the universal King. The stability of our world depends on the reliability of the universal King. We're just going to look at both of these. Oh, is there two ones there? Yeah. So we're going to look at both of those parts of the main point there. The stability of our world, we'll see second, but first we'll see the reliability of the universal King. You see this in verses 1 and 2? Here you kind of see why this is called a royal kingship psalm or a divine kingship psalm. The King is there... And where is he sitting? Right at the end. Um, I'm sorry, verse 2. Your throne is established. So apparently he's on his throne. And, and the idea in verse 1 is that he's reigning on his throne. So he's, he's in power. He's the king. And notice how he's clothed. Normally we would expect a king to be clothed in his royal robe, his, his vestments to show that he is the king. Here, what is God clothed in? Two things in verse 1. What is he clothed in? Majesty, first line, and then the second line, strength. The Lord reigns, He's clothed in majesty. The Lord is clothed and girded Himself with strength. And then you notice here also that this throne is not temporal, but at the end of verse 2, it's eternal. You are from everlasting. So here, here's the great news for us, great reminder really, that, that the throne of God is not a new fad or a phenomena that just came onto the scene recently, it is universally recognized as firmly established, eternal. And not because God came into the world and said, you know what, I'd like to conquer that world and I'm going to take it over and I'll show them who's the king. No, He's the, the universal ruler over it. Not because He, he had to, to be stronger than it like the mythical Hercules. But rather... He's, he's established His throne over the, the world, or really all of creation, because He is its creator and sustainer. That without God, nothing that has been made would have been made. Right? Nothing that exists now would exist apart from His sustaining power. And so the reason that He is this universal ruler, the reason that this is not a passing fad or a phenomena, is because He's been there from eternity. He created this world and all that is in it. God is from everlasting. From eternity past to eternity future, God is the universal King. Nothing can unseat Him. So God is equipped with majesty and strength, and His throne is described as one that's eternal, everlasting. But what does this robe of glory and and throne of eternity do for Him? Or what does it do for us? 
What's so special about the fact that, that we have the reliability of this universal king? Well, that's the next part. It gives us stability in the world. You see that at the beginning of verse 2? Uh, actually, the end of verse 1. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. Your throne is established from of old. So, because God is, is um, unchangeable and unmovable with regard to His throne and His power and His majesty, we can be confident that this world is stable. Now, you might be thinking, wait a second, now, last time I checked, our world was actually unstable. I mean, have you been watching the election results? Our world is unstable and chaotic. How can you say that it's stable? Well, look at, look at the end of the verse 1 again. Because the text says it, right? Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. And the point is that whatever we sense about this world's instability, and there is some chaos and some instability, we have to keep in perspective what the Scriptures say, and that is that because, God's uni- because God universally rules on His throne, He provides for this world stability in the way that He rules. Because God's throne cannot be shaken and because God established the world under His sovereign rule, we can be sure that this world cannot be shaken. That this world is stable. Again, we might look at the world and say, but it's unstable. And in one sense, it is because it's been rocked by the curse of sin. And we know that the earth is passing away and everything that's in it and that the earth will be destroyed. But consider, on the other hand, the stability of God's creation as verse 1 tells us. We have the laws of physics that make our world sure and steady. For example, the law of gravity. The, The law of gravity is not unstable. It doesn't just come and go. I kind of wish it would, you know, when we're standing on our scale or something, right? But that's one example of the world's stability, right? That, that we have these laws in place that will keep the world together and, and in motion. And this stability, what the psalmist is saying is, this stability is based uh, directly on the stability of our God and His throne. So, First, the stability of our world depends on the reliability of the universal king. Secondly, the safety of our world depends on the power of the universal king. So I'm underlining these words. The the main framework of the the points here are all the same. We're just changing a couple words uh, to go along with what's in the text. Verses 3 and 4. First, we're going to look at the power of the universal king and then what that means for us. It's going to mean safety in our world. Now, notice the crescendo in verses 3 and 4. I I tried to read it this way when we were going through it. But first it starts out, the floods have lifted up, O Lord. And then you start to hear the sound of the floods in the next line, right? The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their pounding waves more than the sounds of many waters and the mighty breakers of the sea. What does it take to stop a rising flood? We saw in Psalm 74 a few weeks ago, when the flood rises, there are lots of measures that we can take to try to stop the waters from coming in or getting over the barriers that we have. But I hope you recognize that our measures or obstacles that we put in the way 
of, of the flood rising are limited, aren't they? Because what happens when the flood keeps coming beyond what our barriers can do? The flood wins, right? And notice that this flood has a voice. In verse 3, they have lifted up their voice. And then the waves start crashing, these pounding waves. And the pounding waves have a voice as well in verse 4, more than the sound of, of many waters. Have you ever been near crashing waves? Maybe the beach or on a cruise or in some kind of a boat out in the ocean? Or have you ever seen a documentary on the ship in the middle of a huge storm? The waves make sounds, don't they? I mean, do the crew members in the middle of, you know, let's say like deadliest catch or something, do the crew members there, do they kind of whisper to one another in the midst of those big storms? Commands to each other? No, they're, they're yelling because the waves have a voice. And so the shipmates have to do the same. They have to lift their voice as well. And if we think about it, the, the reality of floods and the reality of crashing waves is that they are tireless. They don't crash up against the side of a boat or they don't crash up against the side of a house because it's gone so far and say, you know what, I'm kind of tired. I'm going to give it a rest now. The flood waters are relentless. The crashing waves are, are tireless. They're strong and powerful. And so what the psalmist does here is kind of gets us to have a word picture of what this great strength or threat is in our world, these crashing waves. And after describing the great strength of the ocean or great strength of the water, now the psalmist turns to something that's stronger than the ocean. And what is it at the end of verse 4? It's the Lord on high. More powerful than the most chaotic event in Earth's history, right? The, the universal flood. More powerful than that flood is our God. He is on high. And it's as if these waters are just kind of below Him at His feet. No big thing for Him. He's not like kind of just floating at the top and, and, and gasping for air and saying, what, what am I going to do to get this flood uh, to subside? What it shows us is that the most powerful forces in God's creation are no challenge to God's power. God is more powerful than the greatest threats in creation. And so what does that mean for us? That's this next point here. It means safety for us, doesn't it? Now, this isn't in the text explicitly, but I think we can imply, uh, we can, we can um, draw that out from the text or, or imply it from what the psalmist is saying, that God's power guarantees our safety. That if the greatest threats in God's creation can be tamed by Him, like a little puddle of water to him, then is there anything or anyone that can destroy our God? Is there anything that can separate God from his throne? Is there anything that can unseat God because it's more powerful than he? Notice where God is in the midst of the raging flood again. He's on high. He's looking down at these raging seas that seem like such a terrifying thing to us. 
And so we, we can be assured of our safety. They're like a tiny droplet on the floor in his, of his throne room. Have you ever heard of a news report about an asteroid or a comet that's heading towards the Earth? People, all these scientists get involved and say, you know what, this, this could just destroy us and we could be completely gone. Well, sure, something could hit our Earth and something could cause some damage, but nothing could ultimately destroy it apart from God's hand. God is sitting on the throne and the most dangerous threats are no match for Him. Do you remember the story in Mark chapter 4 when Jesus and his disciples went out on the boat and the great storm came suddenly and the waves were crashing up against the boat and several of the disciples being professional fishermen were fearful for their lives. They thought they were going to die. So they woke up Jesus who apparently was a pretty heavy sleeper and he calmed the storm with three words. Hush or peace be still. And the winds died down and the waves calmed. The sea became completely calm. See, God has power over the most terrifying forces in all of creation. And so, with the psalmist, we don't have anything to fear if God's on our side, right? Number three, the order of our world depends on the faithfulness of the universal king. Verse 5, the order of our world depends on the faithfulness of the universal king. So we've seen the reliability of the universal king, that he's been around, his throne's not going to be removed from him, and we've seen his power, now we're going to see his faithfulness. The faithfulness of the universal king. Uh, in this verse 5, we... Um, the psalmist highlights three attributes. What are they? We'll go backwards here because the, le- the first one's actually a little bit more difficult. So let's go backwards all the way at the end. What's the first attribute of God? You see there, line three. O Lord, forevermore. What attribute of God would that be describing? He's, eterna- he's eternality. Okay, second line. What's the other attribute of God? Holiness. All right, then the first one. Your testimonies are fully confirmed. And I would suggest to you that you can already see it up here on the screen. This is talking about His faithfulness. His testimonies or His law, His word to us is fully confirmed. And and so it can be relied upon. He's He's been faithful in His word. The point is that God is faithful in His character. He is eternally holy. Verses two and or lines two and three of verse five. He's eternally holy. And therefore, because He's eternally holy, His Word is reliable. We can trust it. God's holiness and truthfulness are not temporary or fading away like a, you know, like the, the house down here that's purple. It used to be probably a really nice, bright purple. But as it sits in the sun and gets baked day after day, it's turned into this really light purple, almost a pink. And that's not what God's holiness or truthfulness are like. It's not fading, kind of just bleeding like, like paint in the sun. It's steadfast. It's reliable. It's trustworthy. We can count on His Word. That's the point. Your testimonies are fully confirmed. And so because of that, there is order in the world. 
The reason that God's faithfulness and His eternal holiness are so important is because those attributes inform what He says, His law, His testimonies. The expression of God's faithfulness and holiness, we could say it this way, is seen in His truth. So, if God is faithful and if God is holy, then how do we see that? Well, the way that we see that is, is as He's revealed Himself to us in His truth, in His Word. And so what that provides for us is, is stability again. It provides order in an otherwise chaotic world, right? The, the world that we... Um, we were the ones who brought chaos into the world with our sin. And what God's Word does is now it brings order back out of that chaos. We might look at our world and think, well, there's, there's no moral order in our world. Our world is morally unstable. But we need to consider that God has brought moral stability to our world through the revelation of His truth. What would this world be like if God simply created it and never spoke? Right? We would have defied God just as we did in the garden through our father Adam and we would be in complete chaos and not know how to get out. If it were not for God to speak truth. So what I'm saying is we would be much worse off than we are had it not been for God speaking His truth. And so in that sense, there is order in this world. There is a purpose for why we live and we know it. There is an end game. There is a last page of the book and we know what that one is too. We know how it's all going to end. And so God is faithful and holy and so we can count on His Word. His Word is true and can be relied upon. Our society changes. Our tastes in music and art change. But there's something that's always fitting for God and that is His holiness and we can count on it. And we, we should follow Him in that way. Alright. I did it this way because uh, I'm going to just summarize the three main points and you fill in the blanks with these two main words. Because God's throne is unmovable, we can trust His sovereign rule. You see how that works? I'm just going to add a couple other um, phrases in the, the last part. So in verses 1 and 2, because God's throne is unmovable, we can trust His sovereign rule. Because God's, word, or because God's power is unchallenged, we can trust His matchless power. Is that what I have there? Because, because God's throne, sorry about that, God's throne is unchallenged, we can trust His matchless power. And then finally, because God's throne is untainted, that is, He's holy, then we can trust His faithful Word. Alright, so that's how I would summarize this psalm. And now I want to give two points of application. And uh, I'll let you keep writing if you're writing those down. And while you're writing, I'll just say the first one. Number one, with the psalmist, we should trust God. So if all these things are true, what the psalmist is saying, if God is unmovable, if God is powerful, if God is holy and eternal, then what does it mean for us? First, it, it means we should trust Him. This came up two times, really. Uh, we said that, that we that God is reliable and so we can rely upon Him in the first point and then we saw in verse 5 uh, the same idea that, that, um, that because God is faithful we can depend on the order that's in the world or we can depend on Him to bring order to the world. So with the psalmist we should trust God. 
The expression of our trust is most clearly seen in our obedience. So, if I say I trust God and I'm unwilling to obey Him, then my words don't mean anything. Okay? My, my words are not consistent with my actions. If I say I trust God and I'm obeying God, then my words mean something. Right? That's, that's an expression of our trust. If I do trust God, then I will obey Him. Jesus said it this way, If you love Me, keep My commandments. And I would suggest to you that our trust or our obedience is, a, is the best expression of our trust when, even when we don't understand why we're obeying it. Now, I, I don't think we should just have a bunch of rules and just blindly walk through life with, with a bunch of rules. I think God wants us to understand as much as we can the meaning behind those rules. But there are some times when we just don't understand. Why would you tell me to do this, God? Right? Why would you, why would you make it this way? Have you ever been in a situation like that with a human leader? Maybe it was a school principal or a parent. And they told you just to trust them because they had more information than you did. Whether or not you trusted that person depended whether you would obey them or not. And so if you didn't trust that person, well, they, they're telling me something to do. They say they have more information that would be good for me to, to obey them, but I don't trust them, so I'm not going to obey them. And what the Holy Spirit wants us to see tonight is that God is trustworthy. Unlike that potentially faulty principle or faulty parent, God is trustworthy. His throne is unshakable. His power is unmatched and His holiness is unstained. And therefore, when He reveals His words, when He reveals His word, when He gives us commands to obey, we can trust Him. We don't have to question whether or not this is good for us or not. Do you remember how Jesus responded to the disciples' frantic nature during the storm? In Mark 4, what did He say? After He calmed the storm, He said, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no what? Faith. So, so here I am. I'm in the boat. I'm sleeping, but I'm in the boat. You have the one who has power over all creation. You've seen it in healing. You've seen it in feedings. You've seen it in casting out demons. And you're concerned about your life. So the reason that we have fears and that we fail to obey so many times is because we don't really trust God as much as we ought to. Too often we are unnecessarily plagued by fears that don't match the fears of a mature believer. So, for example, if you're, suppose your spouse was afraid of monsters in the closet or under their bed. Or you would say, well, that doesn't exactly match the kind of fear that you would expect from an adult. And, and I think that's sometimes the case with us, that we, we haven't gotten back past some of these elementary fears because we don't ultimately 
me say it this way. We don't trust God as well as we ought. When I say ultimately, it sounds like we're unsaved. But, but I think we don't trust God as much as we ought is a better way to say it. So that means when there are threats against our world, meteors coming, comets coming, it's going to destroy, it's going to annihilate the earth, or any other great threats on the world that, that, that suggest that God's plan is going to be thwarted, when those kind of threats come up in our society and then they seep into our minds, or the threats against the Word of God. You know, that, that can't be trustworthy. How can it be trustworthy? It's so ancient and irrelevant, outdated. I mean, the last, the last word was written in A.D. 95. How can we trust that? When those kinds of doubts come up, can I just say lovingly, like I would say to that spouse who's afraid of monsters, grow up. There are no monsters under the bed. God's earth is not going to be destroyed apart from Him. God will not be unseated from His throne. God's Word is not untrustworthy. Yes, we will have many fears, but when we are afraid, we do what Peter told us to do, which is to cast all of our cares, our anxieties at the feet of Jesus because He cares for us. You know, the greatest threats from the most terrifying enemies, like the waves that are crashing up, are just but a noise to God. That's how Jeremiah describes Pharaoh in Jeremiah 46:17. Jeremiah is but a noise to God. I mean, put yourself in Israel's shoes and try to imagine what that must have sounded like if if, if they had heard something like that while they're going through the oppression that they were feeling. I mean, this guy is the leader of the Egyptian empire. And he's got control over all of our people. And there's no sign of us ever escaping. If they were to hear from future Jeremiah who said, Pharaoh's but a noise to God, they might think, you're crazy. You're not going through what we're going through. What that means for us is that no matter how big these terrifying events and tragedies in our news are, God's not wringing His hands up in heaven trying to figure out what the next move is going to be. He already has it planned out. They're but a noise. All these people, these seemingly great power in our world, they're but a noise. In order for God to quell the most natural, the most fearful of the natural catastrophes, He simply just has to make one command with His voice, like Jesus did during the storm. It's as easy for God to quell a powerful storm as it is for us to turn off a morning alarm. God doesn't have to kind of build up some energy and I just got to save up energy for quite a while because this is a really big event that I got to protect myself and my people from. So Christians, the more we recognize the universal rule of God, the more our eyes will be open to the reality 
that God is in control and that He is winning and He will win. And He will bring all things under subjection to our feet. And that it's only a matter of time before His reign is not only realized and acknowledged by us, but by all people under His rule, all creation. So with the psalmist, first of all, if these things are true about God, with the psalmist, we ought to start by trusting God. Trust Him for His Word. Secondly, we should praise God. And I think that's part of the purpose of the psalm. That's why I said, you know, we could just categorize this under a praise psalm. But part of the purpose of this psalm was not just to say, hey, Israel, trust God. But it was also to help Israel to engage their minds with regard to their confidence in God so that, so that they would build trust. But I think uh, also that they would bring those thoughts about God to a place where it actually exalts Him. Now, God is exalted in our trust of Him. Don't get me wrong. But actually, when we, we use our mouth to say or to sing truth about God, God, You are firmly established. You are eternal. You are powerful. You are faithful in Your rule over the world. And there is nothing for me to fear. So let me just encourage you uh, tonight as we go to our groups to pray. Take the first part of your prayer to, to praise God for His sovereign rule over our universe. And just talk back to God with what He's talked to you about tonight in the text. So if you need to open the Bible, it's often a helpful way for me to pray to God. Just look at what we looked at and then use some of those same words and talk them back to God. God, You are the Lord who reigns. You're clothed in majesty and strength. You don't have to recite the whole thing, but, but say some things that are true about God and, and bolster your faith and, and, uh, and increase the ascription of glory to God's name as He deserves. All right.